Praise God. We're going to come to the Word of God together. If you'll open your Bible with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We've been talking about what are we supposed to do now. It's COVID. Things are weird. Times are weird. All kinds of things are different. Can't get together like normal. What is the church supposed to be doing? What are we supposed to do? When you have completed the whole Netflix role and you know all the things, you're just waiting for that next new show to come out and you're on the edge of your seat. Do you remember being a kid, by the way, for those of us who can remember this, and you, and you had to wait like a whole week for the show to come out and you were like, man, what's going to happen in my X-Men show or whatever it was? You know, you can date yourself there. Okay, anyway. You had to wait all week for, to find out if the hero was going to make it or not make it or whatever. Nowadays, you can just stream the whole thing. And we get to a point where we've watched all of it. And then you're just waiting for something new to happen. So what do we do when that happens? What do we do in this COVID season? And we're coming to the word of God to look at what is God doing? Because his agenda has never changed. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. He is not uh, caught by mistake or off guard by some of these things that are happening. Instead, he is building, and he's building his church. He's moving forward. He's doing all the things that he's told us in Scripture that he's going to promise to do, and I'm going to boil that down to you for building the church. Jesus Christ is seated on the throne. He is ruling over the whole world, and the extension of his rule is everywhere, and he uses his people as ambassadors for him who go forth to fill the whole earth with his, the knowledge of his glory and to be his representatives on the earth. His church being built is God's answer for pretty much the solutions of the world. Now, why? Are we powerful in ourselves that we can go do great things and make things happen, or we're just that smart, or we're just that ingenious, or we're somehow more evolved than other people? No, that's silly. The reality is that the Lord himself has indwelled his people, all of his people, not just us in this room, but his church in the world, that by his spirit, he is changing hearts. He's restoring relationships. He's using people who are, who are indwelled with him and his power to make good business decisions and to speak up for ethics and to, to make great laws and to make good rulings and to do the right thing and to be good neighbors. You know, I, had a, uh, I read a book one time and I had a friend we were talking about, um, a pastor friend of mine, we were talking about how to change the world. And so, you know, just little topics like that. And um, he was telling me that he had gone to a, a meeting with a bunch of pastors uh, that were in his area with the mayor of his town. And so he was excited to sit down with the mayor and they could talk together. And the pastors asked the mayor, what can we do from your perspective, you know, from the government side, what can we do that would help change our world, that would change our city, that would make things different? And the mayor said, you know, if everybody actually just did what you preached, it would really be a better city. He said, do you know how much money we spend on cutting derelict grasses, derelict lawns that people have forgotten, abandoned lots? And what happens are people from your churches call us and say, my neighbor won't cut their lawn. It looks terrible. You need to come out and fix it. He said, if weeks before that, they had just gone and knocked on the door and said, hey, are you okay? What's going on? Can I cut your lawn for you? And just been a good neighbor, we would have saved the city over a million dollars just in cutting lawns. You know what we could do with a million dollars? And so the pastors kind of sat back like, oh. But imagine a world of spirit-filled people who love God, who are ambassadors for him, that everywhere we go, we're making the world look like the kingdom. Jesus said it this way. When you pray, say, 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Who do you think he sends to do that? It's not just a prayer that's out there. It's the Lord himself empowering his people to say, yes, you've caught it. Now let's do it together. And so God sends his people out to do all the things that he's commanded us to do, to teach people about him, to make disciples, to baptize people, to see his word reign everywhere we go. And it's a high calling, isn't it? It's overwhelming sometimes when you look at all the stuff that's out there. Here's the good news. God himself is directing us. It's the Lord by his power. It's not our smarts. It's not how good we are. It's not how great we look in a suit. If that were it, we'd be in trouble. But God's good to us, and he moves us forward, and he's, he's the one. His word is powerful and effective. And Jesus said, don't be afraid of what to say in the moment. The Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. And it's by the word of God that he makes things happen, because his word does not return to him void. It's powerful. And sometimes we get caught up into if we can just serve enough things or do enough things, or I, I'm only involved in six charities. If I were involved in seven charities, then we'd really do it. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about you being the person that God's made you to be, indwelled by his Holy Spirit, empowered by him, that everywhere you walk forward, whether in a charity or in your business or in your family or in your lawn or whatever, we say this looks like the kingdom of God. And when we do it imperfectly, God is still there. He's still merciful. He's still kind. I'm saying that because if you drive by my lawn, you're going to be like, whew, imperfect. But he's good to us, isn't he? I'm being real with you. Because the temptation is to do nothing. The temptation is to sit on our couches, wait for the new Netflix show, and just be. Until someday this COVID stuff is over, what's going to happen then? Do you think all of a sudden everybody's going to be unified and things are going to be great? I don't think so. Isn't it interesting how in a time where everybody is sequestered, we're more polarized than ever? What's going on? And the reality is that every opportunity to not disciple people, every opportunity to let other things happen, people are already living in darkness. And the darkness just gets darker, it seems like. Have you actually watched the Netflix shows lately? Sometimes good, sometimes not good. And it's interesting how worldviews get permeated now through our culture, through media, and attitudes get changed and things get, ideas and thoughts get, get shifted and shaped we need the word of God. We need Christians who stand up as ambassadors for Christ, who speak the truth in love, who serve their neighbors, who demonstrate what it means to belong to Jesus. That's what's going to change our world, by his power. You know, the other day, I was hoping she'd come today, actually. We got in, I got into a little car accident, and I was with my kids, and, uh, and everybody's fine. It was good. Praise God. We're okay. But we were going to a soccer game, and we're driving on Manchester Road, and we're sitting at a light and uh, waiting to turn left, and so we're just sitting, and Manchester Road's the worst road in the world. <laughs> but, you know, so we're just sitting there, we're waiting to turn, and uh, I'm talking to the kids, and Benjamin was already playing a soccer game. There were no bathrooms anywhere to be found at the place where we were, so we had to go to a, find a target, because so all, all the kids had to go to the potty. You know how that goes. Praise the Lord. He's good to us. So $50 later, because, you know, Target's not good. Um, we, uh, we leave the target, we're going, we're getting ready to turn left, we're almost to the, back to the soccer field, and all of a sudden something bumps our car. And it wasn't super violent, but you know, I realized, like, oh man, we just got hit. Not, not bad, kids are fine. And in fact, they were asking, like, what just happened? You know, so they were okay. But uh, I got out of the car and just looked back, and the, there was a lady driving a car behind us, and she was obviously you know, upset. 
And so I said, hey, we're going to, you know, let's turn and we'll pull into this gas station here. So she pulled in next to me and uh, I jumped out. I said, hey, are you okay? And she said, uh, she said yeah, I, I'm okay. I'm so sorry. I was trying to reach something. She had already been stopped at the light. She was trying to reach something and her foot slipped off the brake and she just kind of nudged into us. So I said, you know, I, I don't see anything wrong with the car. And so she goes, oh, good. And she looks up and she saw the kids through the glass and just burst into tears. God bless her. She said, it's been a really hard month. I just lost my mom. Uh, everything's bad right now. I can't believe I hit your car. I can't believe I endangered your kids. I said, they're fine. They're fine. We're okay. I said, tell you what, I'm a pastor. I'm going to pray for you right now. And she was like, okay. <laughs> Which is great. Which is great. So I said, I know it's COVID. I said, Do you, can I give you a hug? Is that okay? So she goes, she said, sure. So I gave her a hug. She's sobbing. And uh, I prayed for her. And my kids are like, daddy, what are you doing? You know? <laughs> Like, this is what happens when you hit somebody, you pray for them. That's what they assume now. So we're praying, and we're just, just for a moment. And it was funny, because I, I just, you know, in a cheesy kind of way, isn't it funny who God causes us to run into? It's super cheesy to say it like that. But I said, maybe God's just running you into the right person. Just come back to him, find peace in the Lord now. What if God uses even bad experiences to bring the right people into our lives that you can just be, ready, a good neighbor. Now, we were in the middle of Manchester. I'm late for the game. We got there. We had six minutes of watching Benjamin be the best soccer player ever. But, but so we missed most of the whole game, so we're in a hurry. I didn't talk to her about the four spiritual laws, or we didn't do a Bible study on the book of Ephesians. We didn't do any of that. I just prayed for her, ministered the gospel to her, and said, God bless you, and invited her to church. That was it. So what I'm telling you is this. Being an ambassador of Christ means telling the truth, but it means being who you are. It means looking for the moments where you can just jump in, not awkwardly when there's 50 people in line at the Walmart and you're going to choose this moment to talk to that checker. That's not the right moment. But as God gives you opportunity to just be yourself and just as you know peace, as you know forgiveness, as you know the word, you just give it to everybody. And then watch what God does because he's the one who grows up seeds into a harvest, and he's the master of the harvest, and he's sending workers into his harvest to do good things. The goal of the Christian life is serving God. It's obedience. It's love. It's knowing him. It's being in relationship with God. It's, it's denying yourself that you would be smaller, that he would be bigger. It's in every circumstance knowing that Jesus is Lord. It's knowing his kindness, his mercy, his grace. It's living in the gospel, and it's bearing fruit for God. Bearing fruit in our attitudes, in our actions, in what we do, and in the people we touch. It's bearing fruit. I'm saying that because the message that's out there right now, wholesale, is that you should be blessed. That's what life's about, is you be blessed. Your happiness. And the reality is that God has made us to be a fruitful people. And it's his happiness that we're after. And as we bless him and serve him and love him and minister to him and do that to other people, all of a sudden we find ourselves functioning in all the ways that he's called us to. And suddenly life seems right because we're doing the things that God's called us to. It's good. You know, I, I like working on cars. Man, I am way off my notes here. This is not good. I, I, am, uh, I like working on cars, and I have found that if you don't have the right tool, it's going to go poorly. Just if you don't have the right tool, it's never going to go well. And I remember one time I was working on some brakes, and uh, I was working on an old rusty Ford pickup, um, and the rust was falling in my hair and on my face, and it was bad. I got a piece of rust in my eye. It was gross. 
And I'm trying to get this nut off to get the brakes off so I can change out the brakes, and it just is not working. And so I, so I clamped a, uh, a clamp, like a wrench on there onto this nut, and I'm smacking it with another wrench to try to get it to move. And finally, it broke free after like three hours. And I'm, not, I'm gonna tell you, I'm not proud of the things I said <laughs> during that as it went. It was, not, it was not a blessing. And it was like, you know, of course, midnight, and I'm in my garage just, just hitting things. It was awful. The next time I did brakes, I did it with somebody who knew what they were doing, and they just put the right tool on there, and it would boop, and I was like, what? I blocked off the whole day. You know, like, oh yeah, you just take that off. It's, what are you doing? It's so funny, using the right tool is what God calls us to. You know, you're the right tool. God made you, that he put you in his hand. Not to bash you with something to make it work, but instead that you would be the right tool in the right place, that God in his providence who, who reigns over all things would put you where you need to be, that you can do exactly what he's called you to do. That's good. And you know what? All the pressure's on him because he's the one that orchestrates all those things. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read at verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Here's what it says. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by, in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and the commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built under the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Praise the Lord. What's happening here in this passage? What's happening is this. Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, is writing to the church in Ephesus. The church at this time is made up of believing Jews. Jesus was a Jew. God's people were the Jews. All the promises came through the Jewish people. And so these Jews have believed in Jesus. They've become Christians. And now also the gospel has been preached to the Gentiles, who are non-Jewish people, all the other people of the world, and the people in Ephesus. And these people in Ephesus have believed they're mostly Greeks, modern-day kind of Turks, Turkish people. And so they are believing the gospel, and now they're being united with the Jews into worshiping because they're learning about the one true God from Genesis on and revealed in Christ Jesus. And so they are learning about all this great history and all these wonderful things. And Paul is addressing them now because they are being grafted in to the people of God where they can now have an understanding together and worship Christ in, in pure devotion. As that's happening, it leads to a little bit of strife because they are used to doing things their way. And in Ephesus, we've said this before, but there's a giant temple there. It's a very religious city. And so there's a lot of very spiritual people 
who believe they know the right way of doing things. And Paul is going to correct them and kind of fix things. And what he's telling them is, you once were far off. You didn't know the one true God. You were serving those other idols in those crazy temples, of which there's a huge one in this town. And now you've met Christ and you've met God and you've found his salvation and you've been brought in to his love and to his peace and to his gospel. And you've found that he has a people that he has called as well. And in Christ, he's brought all the hostilities away and made one people now. Not Greek people or Turkish people or Jewish people, but Christian people who are standing together and worshiping and knowing God and moving in all of his power. And so that's what Paul is talking about. And he's talking about uh, a lot of these funny words that are kind of different where he's talking about he himself is our peace in verse 14. And he's made us both one. He's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now that sounds, that's kind of flowery, nice language. It sounds like maybe there's some racial reconciliation stuff happening, and that's true. But what he's talking about as well is he's talking specifically about the temple. Because if you notice at the end of him talking, he's talking about this plan in Christ of what he's doing. Let's read this together again at verse 19 so we get it in our minds. Verse 19 says this, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure... Notice how he's using all this like construction language now, isn't he? It's being joined together, and it grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul has already told us in Ephesians that God's plan, as for the fullness of time, is to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. God is bringing restoration. He's bringing meaning. He's bringing relationship back through Christ in the world. How is he doing that? He's doing that through his people. He's given Christ to be the head of the body, which is the fullness of him who fills all in all. What's he after? What's he doing? He's building a temple. Now, the Greek people understand very well about that temple because they've seen it in Ephesus, this big one, and crazy things happen there. Paul isn't talking about that temple, though. He's talking about the temple that the Jews would understand as well. And the Jews as they are coming to God, have a very concrete understanding of what the temple is. And the temple is the place where you come to meet with God. It's the place. You know, for us, sometimes we take for granted that you can just pray anywhere and you can seek God and do all these things. Imagine at this time, before Christ came, if you were to come and make things right with God, you needed to bring your offering and you needed to come to the right place to do it. This place was not a place that was casual. As you came to this place, there were giant basins out for washing sacrifices. The priests are washing. It's a giant administration of a lot that's happening. You come into the courtyard, you wash your offering. There's sacrifices happening. You know, the Queen of Sheba, when she came, we, we record in, uh, in Kings about Solomon. And Solomon builds the temple, and the Queen of Sheba comes. And the Bible says that her breath was taken away when she saw the beauty of the temple. But it's not just the gold and the beautiful things that are in the temple. What took her breath away was also the administration of the sacrifice that's happening. you got to understand, and this is gross and awkward, but there's, there's like rivers of blood. I mean, think about all the people coming to do sacrifices. There's thousands of sacrifices a day of animals being slaughtered. And to come to God, how do you come to him? you got to come through the blood. you got to come through the basin to get washed clean. 
you got to have your sacrifice before him. That blood has to be shed. It has to be sprinkled out. You need to know that to know the forgiveness for sins. Why? Because the Bible tells us that God was looking ahead to the one sacrifice that once for all would save all people who believe. That one sacrifice would be the perfect blood, the one perfect spotless lamb who could take the punishment that we all deserve for sin. Paul tells the people in Ephesus here, the Gentiles, he tells them, you were once far off. You were children of wrath. Why were they children of wrath? They were children of wrath because the Bible tells us we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. None of us have held to his standard perfectly. And so as children of wrath, we're far off. And the only way that the Jewish people would know some, some semblance of peace through that was going through blood. And so as they came to the temple, they would offer their sacrifices. They would come through blood, and they would find this piece of sort of absolution. And what's happening there is God is looking forward, not that the blood of bulls and goats was enough, but looking forward that there would be a sacrifice who is Christ Jesus, that his perfect life, his sinless life, and his death and his resurrection would be the sacrifice that would make everything right. What's incredible here is that the Gentiles, as they're coming and to the temple, they could only go so far. Not being the covenant people of God, not being the, the ethnic people of God, if you will, at this time, when they were coming to the temple, they would also have to go through that area. They would go past the basins. They would see uh, the sacrifice taking place, but they could only get to the outer courts. And there was literally a wall that they could not pass. When Jesus, if you recall, starts turning over the tables for the money changers in the temple, remember, he gets really upset, and he turns over all the tables. He starts whipping guys, and he's angry. And he says, you've made my, my house into a den of thieves. Remember, he talks about all those things. The reason he's so upset is because there was, that was the place, the one place that the Gentiles could come. That was their spot to be able to make it, to go before God, to be at the temple. That was where they could come learn about God. That's where they could come and find out about what it meant to become a covenant person in the people. That was their area. And instead, it got turned into a commerce area where all the regular Jews could come and just get their offerings and we'll sell you these doves and we'll sell you these things that you need so you don't have to travel with any animals. We'll help you in that, in that regard. And Jesus is angry. Why is he angry? He's angry because he's going to fill all things, because he's going to take these people who can only come up to the wall and through his own blood, the perfect sacrifice, through his own flesh, the perfect life, he is going to offer himself to break down that wall of hostility that now the temple is open to everyone. And now through Christ Jesus, whether Jew or Greek, all who believe in him can come into the very presence of God and know peace with God through his own blood. Not only that, but he's going to make a structure. He's going to take these people, Greeks, Turks, Jews, all the different people of the world, and through his own life and death and resurrection, through his gospel, he's going to form them into a people. What is that people going to look like? This structure that he's making joined together. It grows into what? A holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God's plan for the earth is a people that he indwells. God's plan for the earth is a people who are his temple. When I talk to my kids about coming to church, you know, we say, let's go to church. We say all those kind of words. But oftentimes we call it the meeting. And we were laughing the other day because we were talking to uh, some friends and said, we're going to the meeting. And they were like, what, what meeting are you going to? And we're like, oh, the end of the meeting on Sunday. They were like, should we be there? And they were, you know, friends from out of town. 
And so it was interesting how, you know, everybody, everybody knows, hey, come to church. That's, that's what you do. But with our kids, we often say we're going to the meeting because the church is different than this place. And, you know, we say that in Sunday school, don't we? The church is not the building. The church is the people. Why is the church the people? The church is the people because God himself is indwelling a people through his spirit into a new temple where he resides. He is putting his own spirit into a people who would represent him and be his ambassadors, who he would call his children, who he would bring into life with him, who would know salvation, who would know peace, who would know grace, and who would know the power of his word. He's making a new temple. And we are that people. And when we come, we don't just come to church. We come to the meeting to see the other saints because we're all being built together into a structure where God resides in all of us. He's in us individually, yes, and together. When we're together, we experience him more. How is that possible? It's possible because he fills all of us with his gifts and we see Christ in each other and we're built up and we're encouraged by all the things that God is doing and we hear testimonies and we stand with each other and we know the word of God and we see his power and we're built up to see him again and to be refreshed in all that he's doing. God is building us into a temple, a holy structure joined together by the gospel in which Christ is indwelling. Here's the news. This is what I want you to get. Paul understood, and, he, and the Ephesian people understood, if you wanted to do business with God, you can only go to one place. Where is that one place? It's the temple. And now he's giving them a radical idea. It's not that big building anymore. You don't have to go to Jerusalem. All the people in Ephesus are making it wrong when they go to that idol's temple. Instead now, it's you. You are the temple. So when God is calling people to do business with himself, when he's calling people into right relationship with him, when he is bringing them in to show them the sacrifice, to come through the blood, to know the washings, to come before him in the temple, who does he send? He sends his many mobile temples who go everywhere and are always representing him and being his ambassadors. Because everywhere you go, you go through the blood of Christ. Everywhere you go, it takes people's breath away when you start to talk about the sacrifice, the one sacrifice that Christ did to bring us into relationship. When we show him him, when we show him what it means to meet with God, it's life-changing. Do you remember when you first met with God? When you first had that moment where you realized, wow, he is over me and I am under him. It was awe-inspiring, wasn't it? You know, that's what he's put inside you is that you would be the vessel to go forth and to bring that kind of message to people. How do we do that? We do that through his gospel. And we do that even better when we're together. That's why it's a good thing to invite people to church and say, come with me. Come see what the people of God are like, not just so you can meet great people. Is anybody who comes and meets Kathy Beheimer is going to be her friend immediately. You're going to be, and you're going to be like, wow, she's great. That will happen. But the reality, too, is when we come, we want you to see what it means to be at peace with God, to know him. Are you trying to war against him still, or are you far off? Come near. Let's break down the dividing wall of hostility. Instead, come right in and meet with him and know why you were created. Come meet with him and find peace for the first time ever. And we get to be the priest. This is why Peter calls us a royal priesthood, because we're attending to him, to God in the temple, which is in you and in us together, and being built into a holy structure where God dwells.
God is good to us, isn't he? Why am I telling you all these things? I'm telling you all these things because we're in a time where people are desperate. Desperate to know God. To know peace. To find something better than the Netflix register. They're desperate. And they don't know what it is. We're also in a time, and we need to be you know, obedient to our government officials and all those kind of things, and social distancing, and I'm not saying break all those things. But I'm also saying we need to be vigilant, to be ready to be the mobile temple, to move forward, to minister where we can minister, to be the voice of God to people. Because he, by his spirit, he's the one who ministers. And when I say that, I mean specifically, tell them the scriptures, that they would know him and come to him. Tell them the gospel, that they can find life in God. We need to be vigilant to move forward, to speak the truth in love, and to see that God is building us into a dwelling place for himself. What does that look like? It looks like a people who demonstrate the love of God. It looks like a people who rest on the gospel, who know him, who serve him, who deal with sin, who walk forward, who come through the power of the gospel into relationship together because we realize that we're better together than we are alone. It's a people who love Jesus and are not afraid to show it. It's a people who are walking in his power. It's a people who are not perfect, but a people that are moving forward into, be, into Christ and to being more like Christ every day. It's a people who are not alone. COVID has made one thing very clear. A lot of us are alone, and we're not alone because God is building us into one dwelling together in his temple.